We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is greatest of all time Paralympian, Ellie Cole. Cole, Millwood, Marin, it's so tight. Ellie Cole for Australia in four is now edging ahead. Cole stretching her lead. It's going to be Ellie Cole for Australia coming home 109.42. Dude, I, I literally just sat down, so. Yeah, I had to, um, I was making jam donuts at home today. And I was trying to like time it so that it would rise and I'd be able to cook them and then have a nice fresh donut right before I met with you. But it was, I didn't take into the account that it's like two degrees outside. So everything <laughs> took a bit longer. <laughs> Everything's just taken a little bit longer. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm really tired. <laughs> yeah. You'd be exhausted. When did you arrive home? I came home. I don't even know what day it is today. I came home on Saturday. So I've been home for a few days. Yeah. I still have jet lag. I've barely slept since I've gotten home, so I think that's why I'm so tired. Yeah. So what's it like? Has it been just a complete whirlwind since getting home or is it just busy? Um, yeah, I've got a few things on at the back end of the week that I've been just trying to organise. So it's been busy in that sense. But if, you know, that wasn't on, then I'd probably be not doing much. <laughs> <laughs> it's the retirement life, man. Oh, you have so many more hours in your day, but I tend to just fill them with other things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess the next couple of weeks I'll just be figuring it all out. How does it feel? You're retired now. It feels good. I've been waiting for this. Actually, I said to my partner today, I was like, you do realize I have been waiting for this for years because I was more excited about retirement, I think, than she was. Mm. But yeah, it just, I don't know. It's just now that it's here, it's kind of like, I guess it's the same feeling of winning a gold medal. You kind of a bit like, all right, I really built that moment up in my head. <laughs> I thought that was going to be like a ticket tape parade, some sort of fanfare. Mm-hmm. And, then it's like, and then it's like, oh, okay, that's it, I guess. Yeah, I pretty much just wake up in the morning. I'm like, maybe I'll cook some eggs, I guess. <laughs> maybe I'll make a jam donut. Who's to say? YOLO. No, it's been good. Like, yeah, ask me in like six more months and I think I might have a bit of a different answer. We'll see. Is there anything that you're nervous about? Like, has it, have you been nervous at all about retiring or are you just kind of amped still? No, I haven't been nervous about anything so far. Like I said before, I've been planning for retirement basically since 2008. So. Oh, wow. A really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Why is I, that? Why so long? Well, I went to my first Paralympics in 2008 and then I didn't want to swim anymore. And in those days, I suppose I was, I was really young. And so I had to um, decide, you know, what university degree I was going to do or how I was going to work post swimming. And I guess I just started planning all the way back then. I didn't realize that it would take me another like 12, 13 years to retire, but yeah, I've been planning for it for a really long time. Wow. And it's still like, even though I've been planning for 14 years, I still feel like I'm going out into walking out into the middle of nowhere. That's fascinating. So how were you planning? Were you planning by doing university studies or were you planning by doing work experience or were you just thinking about it? Like how does that play out for you? 
I think, um, well, I was part of the Australian Institute of Sport and we had like weekly meetings back then with our athlete career. What does ACE stand for? Yeah, <laughs> athlete, athlete career, career education. education. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it was a real hot topic back then because I think the ACE section of the AIS had really just started to be set up. And so basically when we weren't training, we were planning for university or work. And I, we always just had it in the back of our minds when we were growing up as athletes, which is something that I think that the Olympians and Paralympians from the 90s didn't really have in their back mm. pocket. So, yeah, learning from the best, yeah? Yeah, but that's, I find that pretty fascinating because that's not something that I experienced. I'm a, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> so did you, did you ever see an AIDS advisor when you were an athlete? I feel like I saw one. Maybe when I was at NSWIS, which is the New South Wales Institute of Sport, as you would know, and I, I, I maybe that was to help me to get into open universities, I think, at that time because I had already been studying a little bit um, through Griffith Uni. I had changed my degree about five billion times. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I finally landed on one 14 it's years It's Tuesday later. <laughs> today. I think I'll change my degree. <laughs> So uh, have you studied? Is that what you've chosen to do or have you done some work? I finished my degree last year or the year before. I don't know. COVID has confused everything. Mm. Yeah, so I started uni back in 2010 and I graduated in 2021, I want to say. 11 years to do an undergrad. And I believe that you have a 10-year period once, once you start studying university where you can only like counter subject as, as as part of your degree um, mm. within a 10-year period. And so I know I this guess, deeply. <laughs> yes, I was like forced into more study than I wanted to in the last few years of my degree just so that, you know, I could finish and not have to keep studying any longer. What did you study? Health and exercise science, which oh, nice. I can't do anything with. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I kind of call it like, kind of like a bachelor of arts where you can't really use the degree unless you do a postgrad. Fun. So, yeah, you... I'm not qualified in anything. <laughs> <laughs> 11 years of university and qualified in nothing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so well, do you have an idea of kind of the path you want to go in? Like do you have a direction or have you got ideas of, of what you're working towards or are you just really going to take things slowly now at this stage? Well, I think – the, how quickly I want to take things and how quickly my manager wants to take mm. things are two very different things. Yeah. It's kind of being born again, I suppose, when you retire. I, I'm speaking from three days of experience here. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> rebirth. <laughs> well, I don't know. You just, I think it's going to be a, a 12 month period of just a lot of exploration, seeing what I like and what I don't like out in the big wide world. Mm. And I guess in my swimming or you know, whenever I was working with sponsors in my swimming career, I always seemed to gravitate towards certain areas and found a lot of enjoyment. I found a lot of little small passion projects when I was an athlete. And so I would like to continue those on, but, you know, I suppose now I might be working for somebody else. So I might not have so much of a say in what I do, but I'm really fortunate where I, I've retired with some really great sponsors who are still willing to support me throughout retirement, which I think is probably something that swimmers in your era didn't have. Mm. And, you know, they're working really closely with me now about how, how we, how can we support you into retirement? And 
like there've been long-term sponsors that still want to continue that relationship. It's kind of not a, you know, once you're retired, see you later, mm. kick me out the door kind of thing. So, But that's remarkable that you've been able to nurture those kinds of relationships as a, as a Paralympian and, you know, someone who is now retired. I mean, like, to be fair, you are the greatest of all time Paralympic athlete. Um, female. Fe- <laughs> female. You don't want to take that away from Matt Cowdery. No, no, he has like not. 10 more medals than me. Yeah, look, I mean, look, Matt Cowdery was a freak of nature. He was amazing. But female, greatest of all time Paralympic athlete. Like that's something. And, and, and most importantly, as a human being, you are epic and kind and generous with your time and energy. So it's understandable that people do want to actually – stay on with you (laughs) (laughs) what a compliment um well we'll see what we'll see where we go I suppose with keeping sponsors on board but you know like you mentioned before being a para athlete and even just trying to find sponsors when I was a swimmer was a a really steep uphill battle to Mm. climb but you know once I found the relationships there and the sponsors there uh, I think we did some pretty amazing things in showcasing the Paralympic movement together and like a lot of organizations and companies are wanting to diversify who they're employing who they're promoting and the kind of messages that they're sending out into the world and para athletes I don't know I think we're just a very popular choice at the moment Mm. and it was right moment right time for me as well does it feel like that for you like does it feel like I want to say tokenistic but Mm. I, I don't want it to sound that way like does it does it feel like you're having like the Paralympic movement is having a moment or does it feel like things are genuinely shifting I think it's probably both I think that some organizations are being quite tokenistic and then once they explore you know what people with disabilities can do or what people that are a bit different can do then it really does open their eyes to the benefits that having those people on board can have Mm. like for example seeing what Toyota have done with para-athletes in the space of sport over the last eight years has been incredible, but their whole motto is the power to move you. And they're just using like Paralympic athletes as one small arm of that Mm. motto. And they're genuinely committed into making the world a more accessible place. So I think for me, it's like, I am wary of tokenism Mm. when it comes to being a para-athlete. I'm very wary of that. But, you know, if you look into a company or an organization deep enough, you can see, you know, what they've been working on, what they what they value as offering to the community. And, you know, I guess all of my partnerships that I've had to this point have been very genuine. Like I felt like there's been a really strong relationship there because we can both offer each other something. So you spoke about wanting or thinking about retirement in 2008. <laughs> Were you like 17 at the time? Yeah, I was a big Libby Lenton fan. Still am. Uh, just going to drop that in there. <laughs> just name it. Beijing was also my my highlight of my swimming career. Um, uh, you went on to three more Paralympics after Beijing. How? Yes. Like, how does how do you go from you know going? I'm going to retire to another three Paralympics. That's a very good question. <laughs> I think for me, the big changing point was there was a Paralympic program that was going to be set up in the AIS back in 2009. And I'm an absolute sucker for opportunity. I can't help myself. And so I was going to retire back in 2008. And then um, the AIS wanted to set up a para program. 
And I remember, you know, doing the AIS tour back when I was in year six. And I honestly thought it was absolute bee's knees to be an AIS athlete. Mm. And so when I was offered a position as a scholarship athlete there, I decided that I wanted to continue because I always dreamed from like my year six camp that I wanted to be an AIS athlete. And I was having a scholarship offered right in my lap. And so I decided to continue. And I suppose every single Paralympics that I've been to post London, um, have all been because there has been an opportunity there that I really wanted to take. Mm. And I suppose that once I really started to see the work that para-athletes have done in the sporting space, I couldn't get enough of it. And so part of me has always trained to win up until about 2013. And then I really saw the incredible impacts that para-athletes were having mm like para-athletes were celebrated so much at the London Games in a way that we'd never seen before. And I really saw a significant impact in the United Kingdom. And so I just kept swimming for as long as I could because I really did see such a difference in the way that people with disabilities were being treated in comparison to, I guess, the way I was treated when I was younger. So it was kind of like there were two important reasons for me to continue. One, I wanted to crush everybody. <laughs> and two, Standard. I, wanted, I wanted to help everybody. Um, so very oh, conflicting reasons. <laughs> I've never heard it put so succinctly. Ellie, that was amazing. It's exactly the feeling. It's very difficult to explain. <laughs> I wanted to crush everybody and also to help everybody. <laughs> that is like my life motto. Yeah, it's very hard balance, isn't it? It's a fine line. It makes you a little anxious thing, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wild ride, our brains. It, it's fine. <laughs> it really is. But I can't say that I've enjoyed every I enjoyed every moment of my career, but I'm immensely proud like when I reflect back on what we've achieved. And when I think back to what we've achieved, what, what I've achieved, I very rarely think about standing on top of the dais, which is interesting because that's kind of the reason why I started was because I saw you standing on top of the dais. And yet you went on to win a lot more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is the really fascinating part for me is that focus obviously shifted, but the outcome was the same. It was. So I mentioned before that I, I'm a sucker for opportunity. And whilst I won like four gold medals, I sound like I'm flexing here in London. <laughs> Flex away, I still, baby. You I don't know why it. it makes me so uncomfortable to say this. Whilst I won four gold medals in London, I had never broken a world record. Mm. And so I, that's the thing that I wanted to come back for. You know, I broke that world record coming back from my shoulder reconstructions in 2015. And then I thought, you know what? Rio is one year away. Why not just go to the next games? Yeah, I was in well. tip-top shape. It was kind of like the peak of my career in 2015. I have not done a personal best time since 2015, so I really hung on for a very long time. Mm, for dear life. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I, I suppose that that opportunity there was there to break your world record, and I suppose that's why I did Rio. And then if we look to Tokyo, that was a really challenging time for me because – I had um, broken the world record. I had won a fair amount of Paralympic medals by mm. that stage, but um, I really wanted to challenge myself in a new way. And that's when I started training with Kate and Bronte Campbell. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, why not join an Olympic sprint program? Why not? 
Nothing will make you swim faster, Libby, than Simon Cusack unleashing the Campbell sisters <laughs> on you as you're hey, giving I re- you a two-second head start and, and go. I retired because of the Campbell sisters. <laughs> so Simon unleashed those girls and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm probably out now. <laughs> you know what? We almost ended up in the same boat there. <laughs> Years later, he's still, he's still, there's still carnage there when it comes to Simon Cusack. <laughs> That's so funny. So the, so the, obviously the challenge became different because you had a different program. You had different stimulus in that respect. Was the goal to become the greatest of all time, female? No, you know what? This is um, a really interesting fact, actually, for your listeners. I had no idea that I was even up for the greatest of all time. Um, Nobody does. This is the no. thing. Like, it, it's <laughs> it's such a spotlight for the external, for media and stuff. But for you as an athlete, you have no idea. I didn't know. The way that I found out that I was about to become the greatest of all time was the day before I was sitting in the Athletes' Village and the CEO, Lynn Anderson of Paralympics Australia at the time, just wanders up to me and she says, oh, I heard that you're going for the greatest of all time title. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Well, like whilst I'm eating breakfast, I thought I might have something to do with my cereal. I honestly didn't know what she was talking about. You're like, thanks, Lynn. That feels like pressure. (laughs) But honestly, it did change everything. I was like, oh, wow. Like I put so much more pressure on me while I was there because I'm like, I'm not swimming for 16 years and then stumbling at the finish line so I really oh my god can to, you imagine <laughs> I would have been so annoyed I would have been like that's it I'm going to another game <laughs> yes <laughs> may as well Paris is like three years away not well, no it's like two years away now well I was very grateful for my relay teammates because I won um two medals in Tokyo in relays and that, that that's what got me across the line oh that's magic so you walked away from the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham how did that feel to know that that was your last Australian team? That was hard. That was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I was speaking to Kurt Fernley a few weeks before my retirement and he, you know, he retired at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games yes. after a really successful career. And so I was like, okay, we have some similarities here. Give me some advice. When, I'm, when am I going to cry? <laughs> <laughs> when are the tears coming, Kurt? <laughs> yeah, that was basically it. And he said it would hit me at it hits everybody at very different times I don't know if you cried Libby or when it hit you I well because I had a weird kind of retirement because I had every intention of going on well no sorry I've retired twice so the first retirement (laughs) I cried I think at my um my press conference but the second retirement I actually it kind of wasn't as planned like I was intending to go on to Rio wanted to get back and and be you know in top form but I got injured and then realized that Kate and Bronte Campbell were coming through and probably couldn't keep up with them um so I was gonna have to move on but yeah I don't don't think I cried that time I I suppose knowing that it's coming makes a a big difference Mm. um because you you know what when you're standing in in the stadium that it is going to be your last time yeah and so I, I was kind of preparing emotionally, like, how am I going to feel? I, the lead up to the race, I was kind of checking in with myself. I'm like, are you upset? Oh, how are you feeling? Are you sad yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't feel sad at all. I woke up that morning, did my heat swim, still felt nervous, felt like any other race. 
went to lunch, still felt happy. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't as big, big of a deal as I think it's going to be. And then I got to the pool that night, felt great. And then I pulled my phone out right before I was going to stretch and I just messaged my family. Mm. And I just said, I just about to warm up. I want to thank you for everything. And so I just wrote like, thank you for everything kind of thing. Oh God, I'm going to tear up. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when it got me like when I messaged my family and it was quite funny. I was racing one of my long-term competitors, Sophie Pascoe. And Mm. that morning when I went into the call room, she was in tears because she was potentially retiring. The footage of you two at the end of the race was just magic. (laughs) Well, she was in tears for that heat swim. And I went into the call room and I said, don't look at me, pull yourself together, girl. Uh, And um, (laughs) Harden up. (laughs) Yeah, I was basically like, drink this cement and harden up. You got a race to swim kind of thing. And then that evening when I messaged my family and started tearing up, the Kiwis were sitting next to us. I put a towel over my head and just wandered over to Sophie. And I said to her, I was like, it's happening. (laughs) It happened. So she gave me a cuddle and then I went back to my team area and Ash McConnell, who I was racing against, was sitting there. And she said to me, oh, my gosh, are you crying? And I said, yes, I'm crying. And then she said to me, oh, my gosh, that is so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny because how old's Ash? She's like... She's only young, isn't she? No, she's, I don't even know. I think she's early 20s, but her and I have been roommates for a really long time and she's really um, sarcastic. And so it's kind of what I needed to hear at the time. And I had a bit of a laugh. So good. Got in for warm up, then started crying through warm up. And then I was okay for my race. Mm. I didn't cry then, but I was interviewed by Kate Campbell at the end and she started getting a bit emotional. Mm. And I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) And then I held myself together, but that was, wasn't until I um, started walking off pool deck and you know how amazing it is would be when you are in a full swimming arena and how beautiful it is. Mm. Um, yeah, I turned around and I just took it in like the crowds and everything. And I turned back to walk out and our media guy, Kieran was standing there and I just like cried into him. Mm. And then um, I was doing my mixed zone interviews and I was crying so much I could barely speak. So I was just like, gosh, please don't get the camera on my face <laughs> while I'm like this. I don't need any evidence. Nobody needs I was to tr- see my ugly cry. <laughs> I was trying to say that, but all that came out was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I really struggled the day after as well. Blake Cochran retiring, mm. um, doing his retirement swim because, you know, him and I have grown up in swimming. And, you know, my memories of him go all the way back to being in Beijing, being too underage to go out drinking with our teammates. So like cycling bikes around the city together. And I cried so much when he retired that the team doctor had to give me a new face mask because the ones that I was wearing were made of paper and it just disintegrated. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, I've actually found it a lot harder to watch my teammates retiring. Mm. It was hard for me, but it was so much harder watching them. And even the morning after my retirement swim, Patria Thomas was our chef de mission, heading into her office and speaking to her about my race. And she started tearing up, you know, I guess reflecting on her retirement swim. Mm. And I was thinking like, wow, 20 years later, like this is still hitting her hard. So I think it's going to be a really long road. I don't <laughs> think I'm ever going to feel okay about it. <laughs> don't talk to me about it anymore. Never be okay again. <laughs> I was like, if Patria is still crying about 
you know, her swimming career. Like, I don't know, you, I suppose it's something that I'm always going to mourn because I, I suppose a lot of athletes on the swim team have very different relationships when it comes to their careers. I love my swimming career. Like I even trained this morning um, with my old squad and I can't get enough of it. It's just, you know, you like know you're you. retired, right? <laughs> yeah, I have. But, you know, like you, I suppose uh, you see the young athletes coming up and you just know that you can't keep up with them anymore. Mm. And so, I don't know, you just have to step down at some point. I get asked all the time if I miss swimming and if I miss competing and doing all those things. And, you know, I can't say for sure. Well, no, I can say for sure that I don't really miss the training and the <laughs> the hours and hours on end that you have to prepare your body and everything is geared towards this one thing. But I think I will forever miss competing and I think I will forever miss the simplicity of swimming Mm. for me that that they're the two things that I think I will kind of will mourn or grieve or whatever whatever language you want to put around it for for maybe the rest of my life because nothing nothing comes close to replicating that in the real world yeah I suppose that with swimming there is a certain amount of certainty like in terms of your training programs like you know you're going to be at training on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, Saturday morning. I don't know. I guess your life is just, it's quite monotonous, but it's quite easy to plan around because your weeks look exactly the same. (laughs) Day in, day out. Yeah. One thing that I'm already kind of struggling with is that none of my days so far have looked the same and I don't know Mm. how to deal with that. (laughs) And then you have to create your own routines and like that's a whole nother thing because you were just told what to do and when to do it. Yeah, I know. And I I was speaking to people about this, you know, even just last week and I was like, it's going to be so much fun. Mm. So far it's not that fun. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But like it's kind of, it's novel. Like the thing that I found the best novelty for me in that immediate phase is like I can turn off my alarm. And go oh, back time. to bed. Like <laughs> I'm being naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I've already done that on Monday and Tuesday. On, on Monday, actually, but by Tuesday morning, I was already like, right, I'm going to the pool. <laughs> Off to the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think it is a positive idea because I think a lot of athletes do just go cold turkey on the old training. And I think detraining is the idea. That's that's where you want to be, I reckon. Detraining. I actually really like the idea of still training but other sports. Like I want to take up wheelchair basketball again. I was reading that about you. You competed, was it for Victoria in wheelchair basketball? Yeah, I was playing in the women's league. I'm actually Basketball Australia's bestie talent 2012. Shut up. Uh-huh. What? what? <laughs> but um, I hurt my thumb when I finished uh, my race. Cause I was like, I remember the last five meters, I was like, this is your last ever race. And so I punched the wall and nearly broke my thumb and I can't play basketball now for eight weeks. Oh no. <laughs> and so, you know, swimming even took that away from me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined everything kids. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm excited to, you know, just try new things. I've never been able to play basketball properly again, since I've tra- been training and I've never been able to go skiing with my friends who go skiing every year. Mm, yes. Uh, I still haven't, those, if that makes you feel better or worse. I don't know if that'll all make you feel better. All those little things. I don't know. It's all open season. But I don't know. Like swimmers don't really get to try too many new things, particularly when it comes to other forms of exercise or sport in case we injure ourselves. So, yeah, it's going to be fun, I think, just 
I don't know. We'll see. I keep saying X, Y, Z is going to be fun, but it's probably not going to be as fun as what I'm cracking, like what I'm thinking it's going to be. Yeah, I think you you've coming you're coming into it with a good attitude in terms of having that open mind about what will transpire because I think I think we're so used to being in control of our time and our energy and what we're working towards as athletes, and I think one of the things that can be quite confronting is that things don't work linearly <laughs> uh, po- post sport because it's like you might have an idea of a goal that you're working towards you know say you want to be a you know a, a sports commentator or get a job in the media or coaching or I don't know whatever it is that you're kind of working towards but there's like a, a thousand different ways of getting there and a lot of it is incredibly subjective because it's not within your control. You know, we did a sport that was incredibly black and white. You know, you either touched the wall first or you didn't. You either did a personal best or you didn't. And it's easy to see that progress and process and improvements, whereas in the real world it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Like I even just thinking about what I'm going to do for work or any other kind of opportunities I think not seeing that progress or I guess always questioning if you're on the right path is going to be really challenging. Like, mm. am I doing the right things right now? Because you just don't know. And it kind of feels like you're sitting on your hands a lot. I remember being at that very early stage and I was like waiting to maybe get a job in the media at that stage, particularly my first retirement. And I was just like, oh, you just have to wait for someone to talk to somebody and you're just kind of sitting here twiddling your thumbs and you're like, but what what can I do to kind of help move this along and it didn't feel like I could do anything. So it feels very out of your hands. Oh, I'm feeling that already. You know, even yesterday I was on the phone to my manager and I was like, I need some more work. I was like, like what's happening with this opportunity? What's happening with that opportunity? And she's yeah. like, they will come when they come. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I like, but I need it now. Quicker. <laughs> it needs to happen. So you were talking earlier about your kind of your passion projects. Do you kind of see yourself going into something like that or do you know the area that you want to go into? Um, I don't necessarily know the area that I want to go into. I do want to stay working in sport if I can. Mm. Um, I actually really want to be a chef de mission one day. So I've already yes. told Betraya. Put your that back, out girl. there, baby. I have, trust me. Um, <laughs> I love that. So I, I, I want to get a, a, some experience working with like Commonwealth Games teams or Youth Olympics, Youth Paralympics, and I really want to be a chef. Like that's my thing. That's my long-term plan. So I want to stay in sport in that sense, but I also really want to stay in like disability because I mentioned before I've seen a real impact that sport has on disability in the world like you know you see swimmers like myself or you see tennis players like Dylan Alcott or racers like Maddie Di Rosario, Kurt Fernley mm. and the conversation around us athletes is always really positive and like wow what an inspiration mm. <laughs> which is good in a sense I suppose because you know it wasn't like that at all when I was younger and I really saw the impact that para sports are having when I raced at the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast and I was receiving correspondence from kids who were drawing pictures of like people in wheelchairs on top of metal dices and like they could still correlate that someone with a disability could still be like a champion in a sense mm. Not um, in a so sense. that was really Actually that's really cool <laughs> yeah and sometimes I would get pictures where I was missing an arm and I was like, that's Annie Williams. That's not me. I'm missing a leg. <laughs> it's the 
wrong one, <laughs> but that's okay. Good effort. Um, but I don't know. I suppose it really opened my eyes when Dylan Olcott won Australian of the Year because mm. in his acceptance speech, he said that he was really proud to have a disability, which is wonderful because I am as well. And um, I suppose I was reading all of these news articles after that speech and I was getting tagged in a lot of things on Facebook of people saying that it's not like that at all in the real world. And in fact, a lot of people in Australia live with a disability and they hate that they have one. Mm. So in a way, sport really glorifies disability in an unrealistic sense. Most people with disabilities in Australia think that to be really seen in Australia, you need to be a world champion athlete. And that's really sad, I think. And so I really want to work in other industries and give people uh, an opportunity kind of like what sport's given me because at the moment they have to fight. Like I had to fight to be seen in sport as well, but, you know, people shouldn't have to do that to be seen in any industry in Australia. So I want to keep working in that space. I've, I've just joined a really great organisation for the next two years who are going to help with that, I think, but yeah. So hopefully there, we can turn that into a job somehow. So yeah. good ideas. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, not off the top of my head, but yeah, I think that's a, a, an amazing goal to have, right? Because that's, I think that is the stuff that is true for you. It's true to your experience. It's true to your identity and also your values and, and trying to align all of those up that that becomes easy, like not easy, but like, clear to to work towards you know and it may not like it may not come immediately in terms of like here's a job that encompasses all those (laughs) things that you love um but if you you keep making those choices consistently around those areas it's like for me like my experience you know is is certainly mostly around mental health and mental illness and so I'm passionate about normalizing those conversations through the lens of my stories and and being able to share what I have experienced in that capacity and I feel like from when I retired that kind of easily not easily came to me but it felt like the right decision even though it wasn't necessarily clear what it was leading to it actually, like, I don't know, I, it's it's really wonderful to have athletes like you who are, you know, following what they're true to because it sets a really good example for athletes like me to do that as well. And, like, I'm seeing, you know, the impact that you've had in, in doing so within sport in Australia. At the moment, when I first joined the team, back when you were still on team, mm. nobody ever spoke about their mental health. No. And it was so detrimental because... I really struggled with mine as well in the early years because no one spoke about it and there wasn't like an open forum. And it's been great now, you know, at AIS, we have that mental health referral network and so many athletes are tapping into that. And not only are they tapping into that, they're being very open with each other saying like, you know, if they see a teammate struggling, they say, you know, this mental health referral networks there I use it it's really great and then that opens up a conversation everyone like everyone in Tokyo particularly after COVID you know we're all having lunches and dinners together in the village and we're all just like having a really honest conversation about our mental health and um, so it's really great for athletes to see athletes like you or potentially even athletes like me who are just being really true to ourselves post-retirement and following that you know, it's really great advice and it makes a really big difference as well. Yeah. 
I'm so excited for what future retired Ellie <laughs> is going to Same. do. Same. <laughs> Gosh, I would have given anything to have you as a chef de mission like, <laughs> back in my day. <laughs> I know. I I'm already trying to like figure out what my leadership style is going to be. Like, <laughs> am I big? Am I going to be the cool mom? You've got to be a cool mom with boundaries. <laughs> yes, cool mom with boundaries. That's what everybody sets out to be. <laughs> that never the, happens. That's the goal. And then all of a sudden you give them an iPad and then they're away. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, what do you hope your impact has been on, like, the general population, general society, but particularly to, to kids with, with a disability? Um, the impacts that I've, I've hoped to have had, I've had a very long career and it has been really successful. And most of my media over the last uh, 12 months or so has been targeted towards my success. But like I mentioned to you, I haven't done a personal best time since 2015 and I haven't actually won a race in the pool since 2016. So that's a really interesting fact. And I guess what that has taught me and hopefully has taught some others is that you don't have to win all of the time. Like being a winner is not, I guess, the sole purpose of why I set out for my career. And it was really humbling in Tokyo, you know, to win a silver and a bronze with my relay teammates, never, like not win any individual medals and still be recognised by our chef demission, Kate McLaughlin, as a really valuable team member and feel honoured with the flag bearership. Mm. You know, I, I suppose I've learned a lot through my career in all of the times that I haven't won. Like I haven't won since 2016 and I've learned so much more about myself um, during that time. So I think that that's a really important part to reflect on is that you actually learn a lot more about yourself and about what impact you can have when you're not winning. Mm. I guess that's probably you have to look quite deep to be able to see that, but I hope that a lot of people can resonate with that. Um, in terms of the para-athlete side, I know that all of the para-athletes, not just myself, are making a huge impact. Like I said, the Gold Coast really changed everything for para-sport in Australia. I have, like, kids now asking me how to become Paralympians. And I was like, oh, you need to cut your arms off, mate, if you want to do that. (laughs) Look, there's no ideal way of doing this. No, but go for it. No, don't go for it. That's a disclaimer. Do not not cut your arms off. (laughs) She was joking. (laughs) No, but it's been been great, Um, you know, having able-bodied kids, like, aspire to be Paralympians. And it's not something. I mean, that just must be. It's so cool. Mm. Um, I I suppose the language around para sport when I first started, two thousand and six to two thousand and eight, all the way up to twenty twelve, really actually was quite condescending. Mm. Um, the language has totally changed now, and um, now people want to be us, so that's cool. That like that's remarkable. It is, and it's happened quite quickly. Um, you know, I suppose people have said to me it, it should have happened sooner, but. Mm. You know, attitudes take a really long time to change, sometimes generations to change. And we've got a lot of people in our corner now that we didn't have before. But I feel like everybody can relate to overcoming hard times. And Absolutely. for para-athletes, like that's in the spotlight. Um, it's not necessarily our athletic achievements all of the time. Mm. And I, I would like to see that change a lot more with um, the way the media address Olympic athletes 
like you guys are people, you guys. (laughs) You people. But you you guys are people first, you know, and I think we've seen that in the media lately with uh, what's happening with Kyle Chalmers. Mm. And I just wish that everyone had that approach to Olympians that they do with Paralympians. And like just across the board, like everybody has stuff, right? And, you know, sometimes it's really obvious what people are going through or hardships that people have overcome to achieve certain things and sometimes it's much less obvious but no less worthy as well. Yeah, and I guess that's probably what the biggest difference between the way para-athletes and Olympic athletes are like perceived in the media is that our hardships are usually front and centre and like it's like, you know, my cancer, being diagnosed with cancer was like the default. Actually, you and I haven't spoken about that. This is like the first time I've ever not spoken about it. Well, I, I, was, <laughs> I actually consciously was like... I feel like she would get asked that question all of the time and would have to explain how you became a Paralympian or how you became, you lost your leg. And I'm like, that's not the most interesting part of you. Yeah, well, I, I just realised that we haven't spoken about that and that's never happened before. Um, well, I was diagnosed with cancer, everyone. But usually in the media, like, that's been the hard, hardest thing in my life, apparently. That mm. happened when I was three, so mm. I don't really remember it. But, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference between para athletes and Olympic athletes when it comes to how we're reported in the media and I it was interesting during Tokyo because I knew a lot of the Olympic athletes a lot more as people and you know sometimes in Tokyo some of my friends didn't perform as well as they would have liked and I didn't give a shit like I loved them for Mm. who they were and I didn't really care if they didn't win a medal or not like because we're people first right yeah so that was really a nice experience for me when I was watching the Tokyo Olympics to really resonate that that I'm still going to love them. And so if I go to Tokyo and don't win a gold medal, I, guess, I suppose mum will still love me. You're like, so. oh, thank God. I, I, I still like them. So I, That's honestly what happened to me. I was like, is Libby going to like me when I come home without it? Does she like me? I mean, uh, I feel like this comes back to the, I want to crush people and I want to help people. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's hard. It's a hard life. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. Um, I feel like you kind of answered one of the questions that I asked, which is the the thing that you're most proud of from from your career, which obviously not winning since 2016 and having to sort of understand and value yourself in those different ways when you're not winning, in adverted commas. But is there is there any moment from your career where you go – you know, it's not a gold medal, it's not a world record, it's those quiet moments that you go, I'm so proud of this person right now. Oh, that's a big one. Um, yeah, I would probably say that I had a I had a quiet moment to myself in Tokyo because that was the end of my Paralympic career when I was at the stadium about to carry the flag out in the closing ceremony. It was interesting, you know, COVID meant that I was the only Australian athlete that could go to the closing ceremony being the flag bearer. Wow. Uh, Side note, when I came back to the village, everyone was blind. And when I say (laughs) blind, I don't mean like visually blind. (laughs) The party started without me. (laughs) When When I was sitting in the stadium on my own, I had this like really, it was probably like one of the most profound moments of my whole life, which is a big call. But I was sitting in this chair and all of the countries were lined up 
I looked to my right and I saw like a flag from every country in the world, looked to my left and saw a flag from every country in the world. And every single athlete that was holding a flag, like it was a flag bearer, was so happy to be there. And like there was just joy in that room. And I was thinking like some of these countries are literal war with each other and everyone is just so happy in like what they're doing within the sport, what they're doing within the Paralympic movement. Like there's just so much happiness in that room and differences aside, like I really understood that that's a really powerful impact that sport can have, like global unity. Mm. And so that was a really profound moment. And then the Paralympic Games in Tokyo last year was right when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Wow. And um, there were two athletes that were caught in um, Afghanistan and they couldn't escape to go to the Paralympic Games. And the International Paralympic Committee evacuated these two athletes and brought them to the Games so that they could experience the Games. Um, and so I saw these two athletes from Afghanistan in amongst all of the other countries who were just there was just so much joy and happiness. And I was just like, okay, it's, I've been a Paralympian for 16 years and I've never really understood like what the whole purpose of the Paralympics really is. And I kind of had this like understanding in that moment, like in that minute. And it was really cool that I realized that at the very, very, like the last possible second of my uh, career as a Paralympian. And so that was really special. I just got like full body chills. So that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, like it took me 16 years and I had this like realisation in one minute while I was sitting there on my own. Do you feel like that has kind of um, planted the seed of wanting to be a chef de mission? Is that, do you reckon that's where it comes from? Yeah, I think that moment certainly planted the seed where I was like, I can't just leave all this behind. Mm. I have to come back. I have to encourage other athletes to understand this and feel this way. Mm. And uh I suppose I I really love loved seeing Patria Thomas as our chef de mission for the Commonwealth Games. Because, I mean, she's fantastic. Oh, she's so great. Um, she has so much experience that not many people have, mm. and it's so easy to say this person has experience. But when you're experiencing moments like that and feelings like that, like you can't replicate that in any other way. And I just want everybody to feel the way that I did. Mm. And I understand that not everyone is going to, but I'm going to basically force it down their throats until they do. <laughs> you will have this experience. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. Um, yeah. I think it's it's really special to be part of an, like an Olympic team, as you would know, and a Paralympic team, as I would know. And they're the bits that I'm going to miss. Mm. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time. I know how busy you are just coming home and making time for me. I mean, look, I fully hassled you. I'm, I'm under no um, impressions that I did anything but hassle you and force you into this conversation. So thank you for making the time for me this week. I'm just absolutely thrilled and absolutely honoured to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. And for the listeners, just for a bit of context, Libby has been waiting for me to retire since Tokyo. So <laughs> she can have me on the show. I literally messaged you after Tokyo. I'm like, are you retiring? <laughs> no. <laughs> you are, I have to say you are one of the most requested people for all that glitters. So that's, oh, that's, that's a title. <laughs> well, I hope that um, there are plenty of listeners and if anybody is listening and um, needs help with anything, I'm only one message away. Yes, chef demission things mostly. Yes.
I'm going to, I'm going to start signing off all of my emails with future chef de mish. <laughs> Perfect. I'm an awfully confident person, aren't I? It's like, um, what's it called? You're manifesting it. You're attracting, it's the secret. Oprah talked about it. It's a whole thing. So. I know. Well, I used to have, remember you on my wall when I was little. And yeah. so now I'm going to have Patria Thomas, yes. Kate McLaughlin, all of my favorite chefs on the wall. Maybe even Jamie Oliver. Just Maybe. To mix things just... up. Different type of chef. Yeah. You know, the be, naked chef. Be, be versatile. <laughs> I mean, don't be the naked chef demission. That may not go down so well. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining uh, me on All That Glitters today with Ellie Cole. She is just a delight. The best way I can describe Ellie is just a a ray of sunshine. I hope you were able to hear how generous Ellie is with her time, with her energy. Her spirit is just something that is infectious and, yeah, absolutely delightful to be around. And I've had the pleasure of knowing her for, for a number of years now. And she's just always so... (laughs) kind <laughs> there's no other way to describe it she's just really kind and I think there's so much that we can take away from from her career and, and especially with talking about that kind of overcoming adversity and the thing that we really look to our Paralympic athletes to have done and it's it's so obvious and and them just being at the Paralympics and that's something that all of us can relate to on, on some levels so uh, yeah Ellie is just the absolute best and I, I, I cannot wait to, to see where her career takes her hopefully all the way to chef to mission uh, as always I would really appreciate uh, you taking the time to rate review uh, that is the way that I can kind of keep bringing you these uh, conversations I mean look it's selfish I just want to keep having these conversations so if you could just if you could just rate and review that would be great um, otherwise I hope you have a lovely two weeks we will talk to you soon